0: Well, good morning, Journey. Good morning. Do you ever find yourself watching the spinning ball on your TV as you wait for your movie to load? There's always this slight pause. You see the little arrows spinning around. And you have the sense of expectation, you know, building anticipation. Because one or of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to get an error message that pops up. And on Amazon Prime, it's usually in German or Japanese, which is even more frustrating. But the other thing is your movie is going to load. And you're good to go. You can dig into the popcorn. You can crack open the pop and enjoy uh, your movie and entertainment. You know, sometimes I feel like a spinning ball in my walk as a disciple of Jesus at times. You know, at times I feel like I'm spinning and and I'm getting nowhere, just kind of waiting for something to happen, just going through the motions. But other times, you know, I I live with a sense of expectation and anticipation because I know God is working. God has something else in store. Because I do know that God is always loading the next step for us in our life. He's loading the next season, the next new episode is into our watch list and it's going to change our life as we follow Jesus as disciples. You know, our goal as a disciple is to make a little progress each day, each week, at every month as we follow him. To live with that sense of expectation because our God does make changes in our lives. Things do change through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Why? Because the Bible tells us that what we are in Christ, that who we are in Christ, is a blockbuster. I mean, we are an Emmy winner. We, we all hold the Oscar for best picture because we have the best producer behind us, Jesus himself. You are a masterpiece in progress. You know, we've been going through this series through the New Testament book of Ephesians called Masterpiece in Progress. And just a reminder about this letter, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And as he does so, he writes while he's a prisoner in Rome, but he's writing to this group of believers, this church and and surrounding churches around the city of Ephesus. You see, he had spent time with them. And he loved them, and he wanted to see them grow in their faith. So he sends them and writes them and sends this beautiful written letter to them that we know as the book of Ephesians in our New Testament. Now, Ephesians, you could basically divide the book in half. Part one is chapters 1, 2, and 3, which is the gospel story. There the Apostle Paul lays out what the gospel is. He does a lot of theology and doctrine and lays his foundation. And then part two st- starts in chapter four through the end of the book. And the second part is our story. So Paul lays out the gospel story, but then he, then he goes on to talk about how does that gospel story impact our lives and how that doctrine, how that theology, how that foundation influences how we live our life as a disciple. And as the author, Paul, summarizes this gospel story, he then goes in to describe how we are reshaped by it. How we go through life as a disciple with that sense of anticipation and expectation because God is always at work in us and through us. So today we come to the end of chapter 3, the end of part 1 and there, there the, the Apostle Paul gives us a very intimate prayer because he cares about what's going on inside of us. He, he cares about, about how the gospel influences and impacts us. Because there we see his desire for these believers to grasp just how much Christ loves them. You see, At the end of chapter 3, there is this prayer. It's a prayer for the fullness of God's power and love in our life. Well, Paul started a thought in verse 1 of chapter 3, and then he goes on to kind of this theological rabbit trail from verses 2 through 13 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, and then he returns to it in verse 14. So if you have your Bible with you today or your app, open up to Ephesians 3 as we kind of follow his train of thought through this uh, final chapter of part 1 of Ephesians. So he begins in verse 1 saying, "...for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then most of our Bibles have a dash in there because everything that follows is kind of this parentheses, And he goes on this rabbit trail that really leads to a mind-blowing statement for any Jew that would be reading this letter in, in his day. Because in verse 6, he kind of comes around to the main point of that. And he says, Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together In the promise of Christ Jesus. I'll just pause there for a second because Paul, remember, he's writing as a prisoner. He's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's saying, oh, by the way, the people that have imprisoned me, the guards, the Roman officials, all of those people, anybody who's not a Jew, he's saying they are heirs together and you're all part of one body. For the Jewish people reading that letter, they, they would have been, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're saying that our oppressors, that those who want to overthrow us, that those that, that, you know, have flogged us and beat us, they are heirs together with us? Well, that's what Paul is getting at in chapter 3. And then he comes back around in verse 14, and he picks up that same thought again, because he begins in verse 14, for this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Well, for what reason? Well, he's saying Jews and non-Jews are part of God's plan. They are part of God's purpose, part of God's family, because he says we all are one family because of God the Father. And then he goes into this incredible prayer for this one family. And it's this prayer that we want to focus on today that is in verse uh, 14 to the end of chapter 3. Well, this prayer that it begins with is, first of all, it's really a humble prayer. Because it begins with, with these words that, again, would have been shocking to a Jewish listener that day. He says, I kneel before the Father. Well, his posture of prayer, of kneeling, right away would, would have not been the norm because uh, back in his day, the, the typical posture for prayer was standing. In fact, you can go to Jerusalem today, and, and there is a place in Jerusalem where the, the, where the temple once stood called the Wailing Wall. And if you go there, you see devout Jews praying day in, day out. And they stand as they pray, and they might rock and forth. But that, that was the typical position of standing So, in scripture, whenever you see somebody kneeling in prayer, it indicates deep humility and deep devotion before God. So, Paul kneels in this reverence before the Father because of this deep prayer that he's going in to pray for the the listeners in the town of Ephesus and the surrounding region. Well, why is this important? Well, the, the posture of prayer is a posture of humility. It's a sign of of humble gratitude. In fact, um, Paul has spent the first pages of this letter just laying out God's amazing grace as he describes and defines the gospel story. He goes on to describe how God created us, how God redeemed us, called us, adopted us, forgiven us, and that just drives him to his knees in prayer because prayer really begins and ends in worship. Prayer is not asking God for goodies. It's not about hitting the piñata and waiting to see what falls out. I like how Psalm 95 describes it. There the psalmist writes, Come, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the, the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. I love that description of worship of kneeling before the God, our God, in prayer. Well, prayer is also about humble confidence as well. It it shows us that, you know, Paul shows us that we can come before God, not with arrogance, but with with a confident assurance of our position in Christ. Because those two words uh, change everything that we talked about in the beginning part of this series of messages. Those two words are in Christ or with him, because when we are in Christ, everything changes. And Paul says he can come to God in prayer because of our position in Christ. You know, I saw a living example of this when um, early in our ministry, a missionary came to speak at the church that we were serving at. And, and his name was C.Y. Kim. And he, had, um, he was a Korean and served as a pastor in Korea who was eventually um, jailed basically because of his faith. And he spent years in prison in Korea. And he talked about during his time there in prison um, how it He'd almost talked about it like he was glad that it happened because it increases prayer life. It increases worship. And how he would spend hours on his knees in prayer, uh, praying to God. And he, he, he said that he would share the gospel with the cockroaches that would come into his cell. But what really struck me about C.Y. Kim is that he preached his whole sermon on his knees as a sign of reverence before God. And my first thought was like, man, that's got to hurt after a while. that was just my immaturity thinking there. But then I realized that he he had such reverence for God and that his time in prison just humbled himself, but to a point of where he was confident that his prayers were heard by God, that he preached his whole sermon on his knees and just a beautiful display of humility of knowing who our God is. And to be honest, sometimes my prayer life feels like just a checklist. You know, I'm going through my prayer prayer list, checking things off as I go. But, But other times, scriptures like Ephesians 3 drive me to prayer. And in those cases, scriptures really become my prayer. They form and frame my prayer. And that's what I've been praying this week is this passage from Ephesians 3. I've been praying for all of you this week as we dig into this passage that this prayer might be for you. So this prayer for us as believers takes place and begins in this place of humility. And then Paul goes into the meat of this prayer, and that's where we pick up in verse 16. There it says, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. See, this is a prayer for the fullness of God's power and God's love in in our lives. So he's praying for us that we grasp the power and, and this love. But do you notice all the phrases that Paul uses there? He says, strengthened with power, rooted and firmly established, able to comprehend God's love, to know Christ's love, to be filled to the fullness of God's love. Where, he says, in our inner being. Strength and power on the inside, because that's where change is, takes place. You know, we, we can look really nice on the outside, but on the inside we, we might be a mess. Our, our daughter and son-in-law, they, they, when they moved into their home, In southwest Iowa, uh, we discovered kind of after the fact that it it was a flip house. And the gentleman that flipped it uh, took some shortcomings, you can say, some shortcuts on on his remodel project. The first indicator was on move-in day. They had this really decorative railing around the stairs uh, going to the basement. And um, moving in, I, I hit the railing with the box, and every one of the little spindles just went like dominoes and just fell over down the steps. It, and he had just set them in there and didn't, didn't permanently attach them. And, and later, as, as we uh, moved stuff in, and even you know weeks later, they kept finding things like that that were uh, shortcuts made just to make the house look good on the outside, but on the inside it had a lot of flaws. It's kind of the difference between you know a short-term owner versus a long-term residence in a house. You, know, you can move in and flip a house just to resell it and make it look good on the inside, or you can take up residency and invest in it. And That's what I love about this description in this prayer for us, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and begins to work in our inner being. I mean, it's like purchasing a house that needs work. I think we we all need work. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, He's going to take the time to clean us up according to His power and His plan and as we submit to Him. So repairs are being made, and, and eventually as those repairs are made, like any house, it begins to reflect the builder. And we begin to reflect the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in our life as He changes us from the inside out. You see, the Holy Spirit enters in us. Christ enters into our lives to abide in there, to reign in there. And when, that, when the Holy Spirit takes up that long-term residency in us, those improvements are made, the makeovers are made, and we begin to reflect His character. So, Paul is praying that we can grasp what that means. We can grasp Christ's love. And and do you notice the focus of this prayer? It's not that that we might love Christ more. And sometimes that's what our prayers are, are like, you know, help me to love you more, Jesus. But that's not the focus of this prayer. The focus is that we may know Christ's love for us. Do you see the difference? This prayer is asking God that we as believers might have the power, the ability to grasp all of the, the dimensions of Christ's love for each of us. So Paul uses these words in verse 18, you know, grasp how, how wide and long and, deep and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. I mean, it's one thing to, to preach and teach and talk about the love of Jesus, but it's another thing to experience it firsthand. It's another thing to know it in a personal, real way, and for that love to radically change us from the inside out. So what do we need to grasp and experience? Well, we need to know that you are rooted in God's love. You know, we have a a couple of bushes in the back of our house that when we moved in, you know, we we thought they had been there forever, Uh, but when the drought hit this year, one of them died. And as I looked at it, I found the price tag still on it. So it hadn't been there that long, hadn't been rooted. And then about a month later, the second one died, and I found another price tag on that one. You know, they hadn't had the time to be established, to be rooted. They're planted. We didn't know that they were freshly planted and the drought killed him. But Paul wants each of us to know that we are rooted and firmly established because Christ loves you. But he also wants us to know the limitless dimensions of God's love I mean, he's saying, you know, we need to grasp something of the greatness of God's love, which is difficult to wrap our brains around, you know. So he talks about these dimensions, the width and height and depth. And as I was reading it, I thought, well, that's like describing the, you know, the cubic feet of God's love. If if you measure the length and the width and height and feet, then multiply all those measures together, that gives you cubic feet. But that doesn't work with God's love. It's beyond any formula. It's beyond really comprehension. So let's just say that God's love for you is extensive. And the words he uses, I think, are impactful. Because he says God's love for you is wide. And that's a great illustration of his accepting love. He says his love is long, that God's love for us lasts forever. This love for us is high. It's, it's ex- an exalting kind of love. His love for us is deep. It's a sacrificial kind of love. And he says he wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, it's kind of interesting. He says, okay, I want you to grasp the width and height and depth. But then in verse 19 he says, yeah, the love that surpasses knowledge. It's like, I can try to describe it, but Yeah, just just know that God loves you beyond anything you can imagine. You know, Christ's love for us is different from anything else. I read the story this week. Back in 2009, a British newspaper published a story of a World War II soldier named Robert Key. And Robert Key died during World War II um, when a grenade that he was holding exploded. Now, the initial Army report um, kind of labeled Robert Key's actions as foolish and put the blame on him. So throughout all of those years, from World War II through 2008, 2009, his family kind of lived with this shame almost that, you know, that Robert had been foolish and that's what killed him. Well, in 2008, the town's mayor of this, this French town where it happened, the, the mayor contacted the family and asked the family if they could name a road after Robert Key in their village, in their town. Well, as, as the, the story unfolded, they began to realize uh, the truth behind what happened. See, as the story goes, Robert Key was there in, the, in this French village in World War II and he witnessed children uh, that had found a grenade. And when one boy pulled the pin, Robert Key grabbed the grenade and ran with it away from the children. And when the grenade exploded, he, he protected the children's life but, but gave up his to save the children. And with that, when when that truth came out, the family realized that this was something different than what they had believed all along. And Robert's nephew wrote in 2009, this news was amazing and completely different than anything we had known. You know, Journey, the sheer scale of Christ's love for you is different than anything you could know, completely different than anything you can experience here on earth. So, Journey, do you need to grasp how much Christ loves you? Do you need to try to get your head around the the width and depth and height? And even though it's incomprehensible, Paul is praying that we might be able to grasp it because that kind of love is life-changing. And then Paul shifts here at the end of chapter 3 with this almost just he ends with words of praise. And he he prays with this great expectation that begins in verse 20. He says, Now to Him, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, this prayer of Paul it answers the what question. Because he says, God is able, well, well, what is God able to do? Then he gives these ascending phrases. God is able to do more, but, but that's not all. God is able to do immeasurably more, but, but that's not all either. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask But that's not all either. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. See, Journey, God can do more in one response to one prayer than we can do in a 100 years of planning and preparing. And this prayer also answers the how question. How does God work beyond our imaginations? Well, the scripture tells us that it's according to the power that is at work within us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And also, this prayer answers the, the why question. Ultimately, the goal of this prayer is described in verse 21, the very last sentence of this part one of the book of Ephesians. He says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God blesses his own people for his glory for no other reason than that. God desires to get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and in our lives. So for how long? Well, forever. Forever God will be glorified through His power and love. Forever God will be glorified in and in, through His people. Forever God will be glorified in Christ Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Forever, God will be glorified in Jesus who reconciled us to the Father. And forever, God will be glorified in Jesus who now dwells in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory forever. I want to invite the praise team back up this morning. And and as they do, you know what, why pray a prayer like this anyway? You know, what, why would Paul include this in this letter? Well, on, on a bigger scale, why do we gather together on Sundays? What, why do we preach? Why do we serve? Why, why even bother? Why do we talk about making disciples here at Journey Christian Church? Why do we ask people to surrender their lives to Jesus? Why this prayer for us to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Well, no other reason than to give God the glory. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for this church, that we live our lives for him so that he gets the glory. So my prayer for you this morning, Journey, is that you might be filled to the measure, filled to the top, overflowing with the measure of God so that God gets the glory in your life. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I thank you how Paul just kind of brings it around as he wraps up the gospel story and he prays that our lives might be lived for your glory. So Father, today I just lift up each person in this room that we can live our lives in such a way that it's surrendered to you that you work in us and through us so that people might see you at work. And as they do, Lord, may you get all the glory. So, Father, that's why we are here. That's why this church exists. So, Lord, do that work within us today. So we pray this in your name. Amen.